You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. We're in a study of deep fakes, a study of spiritual con artists. And, and uh, we are not without our own cons as Christians. Sometimes we are hypocritical ourselves, saying one thing and representing another. Uh, but I believe these sketchy Bible characters that we're going to be talking about in this series go beyond deception uh, because a true believer, if they were uh, hypocritical in any way, would confess that sin to the Lord. But these people, uh, I believe, are, they seem to be genuine con artists. Uh, you remember in the first Jurassic Park how good the CGI was of the dinosaurs and things? And if you compared what, the old Jurassic Park to the new ones... Now, there's no comparison. The CGI is so much better. And so there's these deep fakes now. They're using all this CGI and this AI to uh, produce synthetic media that digitally manipulates one person to look like another. And there's a growing concern of this uh, because... Uh, there's fake news that's being produced. There's sexually explicit images. There's financial fraud. And so there's a great mo- effort in uh, our nation and around the world to detect and limit the use of these deep fakes. And that's exactly what our series is about. We want to detect and limit the use of deep fakes, even if we're the deep fake. <laughs> even if there's things in our lives that need to change. Matthew 7:15 says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. And there's a true story from God's word about a man who wasn't a false prophet, but he was a uh, false servant of a prophet who tried to hijack a miracle of the Lord for his own financial gain. And his name is Kamikaze Gehazi. His name's Gehazi. And we're going to study about him for two more weeks, I think. But I want us to read this together. Second Kings chapter five. If you'll just try to stay along with me in this story, it's long, but it's true and it's good. Second Kings five, verse one. These are the words of God. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by the Lord, by him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who's in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, uh, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, well, go now, I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, 10 changes of clothing, worth over probably 750 grand. And he brought the letter to the king of, of Israel, which read, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you uh, Naaman my servants, that you, you may cure him of his leprosy. Uh, and when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. Verse eight, and when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there's a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you'll be clean. 
But Naaman was angry and he went away saying, behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord, his God, and wave his hands over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the rivers, the waters of Israel? Uh, Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, my father. It's a great word the prophet spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? That's, that's good. That's good, right? Verse 14. So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company. And he came and he stood before him. And he said, behold. I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But he, Elisha, said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, if not, please let there be given to your servant, meaning Naaman's asking, calling himself the servant, Uh, Two mule loads of earth. I'll explain that later. For from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offerings or sacrifice to any God but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the house of Rimmon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon. When I uh, bow myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. Uh, He said, Elisha said to him, go in peace. And when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, uh, the servant of Elisha, the man of God said, "Um, see, uh, my master has spared this Naaman, the Syrian, and not accepting from his hand what he brought as the Lord lives. I'm going to run after this guy. I'm going to get something from him. (laughs) Verse 21. So Gehazi followed Naaman. And when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from his chariot to meet him and said, is all well? And he said, uh, yeah, all's well. My master sent me to, to say, um, there have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim, two young men of the sons of the prophets. Um, please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. And Naaman said, well, be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him and he tied up two talents of silver in two bags and two changes of clothing. And he laid them on two of his servants and they carried them before Gehazi. And when he came to the hill, he took them from their hand and put them in the house. And he sent them in away and they departed. He went in and stood before his master. And Elisha said to him, where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, uh, your servant went nowhere. And he said to him, did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. So we went out from his presence, a leper like snow. I want to ask Brian James to come and offer God's blessings on the message today. Brian. Let's pray. Heavenly King, thank you for this day. Thank you for giving us a place where we can come and worship in your name and gather in your name and hang with family members in your name, God, and uh, not have to fear for government to come cracking down and kicking the doors down and dragging us out of here. God, sometimes we take that for granted. Help us not to take that for granted. God, thank you for Went. I pray that you would bless his message today, and thank you for all the babies that we have in here, God. (laughs) We are so grateful for them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 I am too.
Praise the Lord. Well, uh, 2 Kings 5 is really in uh, two parts, and I hope you'll see all these these last week's message this week and, and maybe next week as a one sermon divided up into parts. First, we're covering the deep fake who's going to become authentic. We'll see that today. And then second, we're going to look at the seemingly authentic Kamikaze Gehazi, who was revealed to be a deep fake. So just in way of review, we've been looking at the salvation of Naaman, all right, the commander who was humbled by God. And the first thing we noticed last week, and we're going to continue on this week, is God's effort to bring just one individual to Christ. Every person in hell enters soaking wet from the waterfall of God's grace they had to step through to get there. All right, it dries up quick, <laughs> but, uh, but they had to walk through it to get there. And so last week we looked at the victories God had given. Naaman's name means gracious in ancient Syrian. And so God was gracious to Naaman. It says he was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord gave victory. Every success that we have, no matter what it is, what area of life it's in, it's owed to the Lord God of heaven. Then we looked at the people that got involved. All of the people and moving parts, they're involved in bringing you, every one of us, to Christ. It's not just one person, it's a host of people. Here with Naaman, it was the Jewish uh, servant, Right, She didn't think herself too young or lowly uh, to testify to God's healing power. Uh, she was so highly favored in her reputation that her, uh, her mistress, her, her boss, uh, trusted her words. Then Naaman's wife was involved. She talked, she relayed the message to her husband in such a way that he acted on it. Then Naaman himself got involved. Uh, and by the way, Naaman's a perfect example that though it's God who quickens the heart to want to be healed, we still have to act, right? We still have to move, and, and, and Naaman did. Then there's Syrian's king, Benadad II. He wrote the letter for Naaman. Then there was Israel's kings, who sadly had less faith uh, in his own God than the foreigners did. And then there's Elisha, the man of God, who only wanted to give glory to God. We'll look at that in just a minute. And then there were Naaman's servants, who were wise, whose wise and peaceful words talked their... Uh, temper tantrum boss uh, down off the ledge. He was, he was going away in a rage and they said, please don't go. Please do this. This is good. And so he changed his mind and he, and he went down in the river and washed. And so all of these people worked together. Uh, and that's where we stopped last week. And we pick up there, right? The victories God gave, we looked at the people got involved. And third, we look at today, the affliction that God allowed. There are numerous scriptural reasons for suffering. I, I mean, I'm thinking of seven or eight, but I'm going to give you four big ones, all right? One, obviously, is consequences uh, on this earth and in eternity for our sin, all right? Uh, another one is circumstances. We live in a fallen world, and other people sin, and we're affected by that sin, uh, by man's mistakes, by man's failures. And then third, conviction. If you live out your faith for Christ at work, at home, wherever you are, the Bible assures you, you will go through suffering. As a follower of Jesus, you will suffer. So there's conviction. And then in Naaman's case, um, affliction came for a fourth reason, and that was for his own confession of faith. Affliction in Naaman actually produced allegiance to God. If he hadn't had leprosy, that man wouldn't go to heaven. I mean, it's crazy to think about. 
But that's exactly what God used. Psalm 119.71 says, it's, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. And those aren't words of an armchair quarterback. Those words, uh, Psalm 119.71, uh, was inspired by the same God who, who gave us Hebrews 2.10, which says, For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, to salvation, should make the founder of their salvation perfect. How? How would he make the founder of their salvation perfect? Through suffering. That's, that's what, the, the founder of our faith suffered to secure it. So don't ever think you're alone in affliction. Instead, in light of Christ's intentional, necessary affliction on our behalf for the consequences of our sin, we should, we should have eyes that see the heavenly breadcrumbs that he leaves for us, leading straight to his throne for his glory and for our repentance and faith. Understand, understanding affliction gives us hope of knowing at least some of the reasons why we're allowed to suffer. God has stated over and over in scripture, the purpose of mankind. And that's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I was telling somebody this week, if you've got a remote control and it takes AAA batteries, you can't shove double A's in there, all right? It's engineered for AAA. That's what's supposed to go in it. You are engineered, hardwired by God to glorify God. And so that's how he knows you're going to most enjoy your life is to bring him glory. God's effort to cleanse Naaman is seen in victories given, people involved, and a, an affliction allowed. Well, the salvation of Naaman came with God's effort, but second, it came with God's remedy. The lost man, in general, Naaman in this case, seems to always want to do God's will man's way. I think there's a lot of Christians that do that too, right? But Elisha knew better. And so first, I just want to give you three uh, points here. And the first is the personal decrease. Look at the personal decrease. Part of God's decree and Elisha's example is the lessening of our credit in the miracles of God. Do you understand that? Less of our credit. 2 Kings 5, verse 9. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house, and Elisha sent a messenger to him. I don't know if y'all realize this, but Elisha's methods here in this passage are like a treasure trove of Christian leadership principles, <laughs> right? As we speak about deep fakes, these spiritual leaders, and may God help me, these men who don't act, you know, actively take a back seat to God, if we're not actively taking a back seat to God, if we are intentionally stepping behind the curtain, we will naturally slide in front of it. That's why we have to be actively decreasing ourselves. God may be working great things through any one of us, but if we don't step out of the spotlight, God won't receive all the focus that his glory demands. Uh, today, I'm sorry to say we see lots of worship bands. I'm thankful for ours. Lots of worship bands and lots of pastors who love center stage. And some of them are almost like sex symbols. I don't think y'all have to ever worry about that with me. <laughs> 
listen, I just want to tell y'all now, I want to apologize. If my bird legs and my bald spot cause you to be distracted during the service, I can't help it. I'll tell you why. First of all, I'm not going to get calf implants like Todd Baker. <laughs> and second, I'm just not a toupee kind of guy, you know what I mean? So if it goes, it goes, all right? And now, now, I will say this. The second half of James 5.16 says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And, and so there is, there is a benefit to being a godly person. Um, but don't miss the first part of the verse. Uh, uh, it, it doesn't just say the prayer of a righteous person. Before it ever says that, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power. So that means that, that power has never been limited to prophets, priests, and pastors, right? It's been given to everybody, right? We've already seen that, the fact that this whole story is set in motion by a little Jewish uh, servant, right? Friend, there's only one who needs our attention, and Elisha knew it. Uh, in this situation, if he didn't uh, send a messenger, he knew that Naaman would give Elisha the credit instead of God. There's a short but powerful verse in uh, John chapter 3, verse 30, and y'all know the verse. He must increase and we, I must decrease. And part of God's remedy is our decreasing. And let me say this. Some of us press too hard against our own problems. We press and insert ourselves too much into the solution. And we need to sometimes back off. It needs to be the opposite. And Elisha made sure of that, right? Well, then we see uh, not just a look at de uh, personal decrease, but a look at the personal desperation. And this is, of course, by Naaman. And it's easy to believe that this great commander of the Syrian army, this pinnacle of, of uh, valor and respect, um, the king's right-hand man, uh, the victorious mighty Naaman, is probably more accustomed to giving orders than receiving them, right? And in my sometimes uh, sanctified imagination, I really think Naaman was like type A, you know? I think Naaman looked ahead. That's what commanders do. They anticipate all potential outcomes of war and battles. And I think uh, he looked ahead and he saw, look, this is... I don't know if this is going to work, but I'm going to cross this one off my list. I'm going to go down, do what this guy says, you know, and get this out of here. You know, so he leaves. He goes from palace to poverty because he wants to cross another option off. And when he hears the proposal of Elisha via a messenger, he's thrown into a rage. Um, and, of course, the servants plead with him. But I think in the end, he, he followed through with it because he's desperate. And I think in Naaman's soul that he was just exhausted. Are y'all ever, do you ever feel just exhausted? Exhausted with your, with not just with people, not just with the government, not just with this world, but I mean just, and not just with kids. I mean just exhausted with yourself. You can't run from you, can you? There's no room to hide in, right? You can lock yourself in the bathroom, but you're in there with you, right? When you crawl into bed tonight, you're going to be with yourself. And, it's, it's, and this, there's, this, this, there's this part of man that knows it, 
Mankind knows we're exhausted. I'm, I'm so sick of myself sometimes, right? Romans 7, after more than two decades of Paul's salvation, he writes these words in Romans 7, 18. I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what's right, but, the, but not the ability to carry it out. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I don't want is what I keep on doing. Verse 22, I delight in the law of God. I mean, you know, in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. I hate myself. I'm sick of me. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I believe, friend, if you can't come to Christ desperate, don't bother coming. Even our little sharp minds, we see all these potential outcomes if we call on the name of the Lord. And I've seen people step away from faith because they, they see in advance, not in faith, but in their own flesh. And even as we plan and as Naaman loaded those chariots with all that money, that gold and silver, it only took God's remedy, right? That gold and silver wasn't going to get it done. But he had to be willing to go that extra 20 miles down to the Jordan River. And friend, we have to be willing to repent of our sins and turn from our wicked ways and call on the name of the Lord. And if you're not willing to do that, stay at home. <laughs> stay put, because you're gonna waste your, waste your energy. Naaman's desperation overrides his frustration with the seemingly foolish prescription. Uh, we heard a great testimony from Luke Kendall this morning in our men's prayer breakfast. Every first Sunday of the month, we have men's prayer breakfast at 8 a.m. on Sunday. And y'all are welcome to, to uh, be part of that, you men. But we hear testimonies each, each time. And Luke gave a powerful testimony of, of, I think he was probably frustrated with himself at some points in his own life. And such a beautiful testimony, Luke, trans, of transparency. But it overrode his frustration. And, and listen, Naaman's right to think that if it's all about the water, you know, all water's the same, right? I mean, Naaman is a logical commander. He's thinking, water? This is about the water? Well, then heck, I could have gone down. I could have walked out my front door and got better water than this sludge, right? But it wasn't about the water, was it? It's about God's remedy. God's will is not to be done man's way. It's God's will, God's way. To see God's remedy, we have to look at the personal decrease, I'm less, he's more, personal desperation, I'm unclean and I need, I'm, I need God's healing, and then third, look at the personal declaration. And this is incredible. These are five, I'm gonna give you five acts or statements of faith seen, and there's really more than that, but that's all I can cover this morning, seen in this passage. The first is 2 Kings 5.15. It says, then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company. Now, he didn't have to do that. He was 20 miles away. And I don't know if y'all know what it's like carrying all that weight and all that stuff and entourage of people moving through those old road systems, but it was slow. And it would have taken all day just to go back. And, and he didn't have to do it. So I believe this is a statement of testimony. When people are changed by God, they have a compulsion to tell someone. And it's often their own family of faith they want to tell, right? Uh, second, uh, in 2 Kings 5.15, same verse, he says, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. That's a statement of certainty. 
And by the way, it's a statement of rebuke to all those uh, native Israelites who don't follow God and don't believe. Here's a foreigner who believes fully and knows for certain. He's not wondering who healed him. He knows it was the Lord of heaven. Third, so accept now a present from your service. A servant. Of course, Elisha wouldn't take it. Matter of fact, when Gehazi goes to give a gift, which we'll talk about next week, um, Naaman's ready to give him two, double what he's asking for. So there is in the heart of a believer a generosity toward the work of God. We want to support God's work, not for salvation, but for appreciation. There's a statement of gratitude here, except now a present. Of course, he didn't. Fourth, 2 Kings 5, 17. If not... Please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. What is that about? For from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offerings to sacrifice to any God but the Lord. Friend, that's a statement of exclusivity. There's something in theology we call the exclusivity of the gospel. It's not Jesus plus the Quran. It's not Jesus plus Allah. It's not Jesus plus Confucius. It's not Jesus, but some other weird version of the Bible that you manipulated to glorify yourself. It's Jesus, it's God, it's the God of heaven and him only. And that's what he's saying right here. And by the way, the, the two mule loads of dirt, back then they believed that you could only worship uh, the God uh, the, uh, on the dirt of the nation from which that God came, all right? So... Instead of Elisha trying to give him a whole missiological uh, study on why he didn't need that dirt, you could just worship anywhere, he says, it's fine, take it. He's letting him, he, gives, he wants two loads of dirt because he's going to haul that back to Syria in Damascus and lay that dirt out at his home and he's going to worship the God of heaven from that dirt, from Israel's dirt. And that was... I mean, he's a young Christian, so what do you, you know, it tells me we gotta, we got to bear with some of the whack theology of these, uh, of new believers, but work with him <laughs> as we move them toward the cross. We, we don't allow it in our, uh, you know, to become pre preeminent in our church, but uh, this was a radical shift, by the way. This is the same, this is the same commander who despised the water of the Jordan, but now he wants to take the dirt of Israel home. He's calling the Jordan dirty, and now he's taking the dirt with him. And it's just a radical turnaround. And then fifth, uh, 2 Kings 5.18, in this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant when I go into the house of Rimmon. The house of Rimmon was a, play, a temple worship. So again, type A personality, he's looking ahead, he knows, hey, I'm going to have to, I, I, I just proclaimed God, the only God that I'll worship, but oh no, I just remembered next week I'm going to have to, next month I'm going to have to go into the, that ritual, into that temple with my boss, because I'm the commander and I protect him, I've got to go in there with him, and, and everybody kind of bows down in this thing, and I, and I don't want to do this, I'm only going to worship God, but will you pardon me for this, because I know it's sin, I don't want to do it. I don't know the way out of it yet, right? And, and again, he says, go in peace, verse 19. The Lord, the Lord will pardon you. And so I believe that's a statement of confession. Part of Naaman's job required it, and he was confessing in advance, I don't want to do this. And some of y'all are in awkward situations in your jobs. You're put in awkward situations where you want to do what's godly, but you feel like you can't. And I believe God will help you make good decisions if you rely on him. But testimony, certainty, gratitude, 
exclusivity and confession of sin. That sounds a lot like genuine salvation to me. Naaman, right? All the effort that God went into. God's odd remedy. By the way, if you look over in the New Testament, you won't see Jesus healing people usually the same way. He usually mixes up the remedy because it's not about the remedy. It's about the words of God. That's the remedy. What he says is the remedy, not what you think. <laughs> and, and I pray that God will bless you and you'll learn from this today. A testimony, a picture. And there's another picture uh, of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that the church has been practicing for over 2,000 years, and it's the Lord's Supper. And 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. We're proclaiming the Lord's death this morning in this Lord's Supper until he comes. Verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. If you're a believer, go to the Lord in prayer. And you can go get the, we have five uh, tables throughout the sanctuary. And uh, if you run out of cups at one table, just make your way to another one. There's two cups stacked on top of each other. The bottom is the bread. The top cup's the wine. Grab both cups if you're new. And then make your way back to your seat. You can pray. But as you pray, if you're a believer, confess to the Lord. <laughs> really only believers should be taking that. That's what the warning's for. Uh, but you don't have to be a member of our church. If you're a believer, uh, I just would encourage you to confess your sins. Lord, if there's any sin that I don't know of in my heart, would you reveal that to me? I confess it now to you because I want to take this supper in a way that brings honor and glory to you. All right. So when I pray, after I pray, you can go ahead and stand. You'll make your way to one of these tables, grab the elements and make your way back to your seat. And after that's done, uh, as, as that winds down, I'll have you all stand back up and uh, for a time of invitation or a response where people can come forward to make public professions of faith or join the church. Father God, we love you. And uh, we ask that you be honored in these elements, Lord, as we take the bread uh, and, and the wine that represents your body and blood that was poured out for us. Lord, we, we confess we're like Naaman. We're sick of ourselves. <laughs> and Lord, this is just a reminder that you came, you came to make us, uh, you know, be able to put up with ourselves a little better through the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, we can't love others as we love ourselves unless we love ourselves in some man manner. And you've put us on this earth, engineered us, AAA batteries, to worship you and give you glory. And I pray you be glorified as we take this Lord's Supper today. I pray that those that don't know you would be drawn to you through it as it proclaims your death. I pray that after that, during our time of response, people would be obedient to what you're calling them to do. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
a table and they're out, just make your way to another one. There's plenty of time. on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.piperdenbaptist.com.